Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. You can grab a seat. Glad that you're here today. You just heard that we're going to do something different. If this is your first Sunday with us, we have been studying through the book of Genesis. We have been in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to pick up right where we left off next week. Today, we're going to do something different. I was at a conference on Thursday. I was speaking to a group of pastors, almost a thousand pastors and church leaders in South Carolina. And typically, I don't like these conferences. You know, when the speakers get together in the room, they bring their egos with them and they act like Christian superstars. And to be honest with you, I don't even like being around the speakers that are on the platform. But what's even worse about conferences like that are the pastor's conversations in the hallway. Because the pastors in the hallway start to make themselves feel good by making other pastors feel bad. They try to measure themselves by other people in the room and measure their church by how much better their church is doing than another church down the street or across the state is doing. And to be honest with you, I was just in a bad mood when this whole thing got started at 9 o'clock on Thursday morning. And then five minutes in... I felt this overwhelming sense that the Holy Spirit wanted me to change my notes for that day and threw everything that I prepared out the window and I just started to speak from my heart. And then as the service continued, as the music started to play and as the next guy started to speak in a couple of minutes of listening to him, I just felt like it's time for us to pause from the study of Genesis for just a second and let's take a moment and let's talk about what's happening in Asbury Kentucky, Asbury University, Wilmore, Kentucky, and it's now spreading to college and university campuses at a couple of places around the United States. There's a lot of concern. Frankly, there's some criticism about what's happening on a couple of these campuses, but a lot of people are just confused. And they're asking questions about genuine revival, and they're asking, is this real? So, There was a statement that I really heard and it impacted me heavily. And I just want to kind of unpack a statement for us today. And I'm going to do something very different with this sermon. Please come back and be with us next week because we'll be back to normal and back to Genesis chapter 2. But I need you to understand something about the word revival and about the idea of what's happening in Kentucky. Look up here on the screens. Revival cannot be manufactured by human efforts. Revival is a supernatural work of God when his spirit impacts a group of people, which means revival has to be prayed down. It cannot be worked up. And people are asking questions right now about Asbury University in Kentucky and Baylor University in Texas and a couple of other places around the country. And they're saying, is this genuine? Is this real? Is this really happening? For those of you who are guests, typically what we do, because we're a church that believes the Bible is the word of God, we typically open up the Bible and we explain what the Bible says. That's what Pastor Troy and I do on a Sunday. We want you to understand what you're hearing in the Bible, but we don't think God wrote the Bible just to make you wise. He actually wrote it to change your life. 
So we try to explain not just what the Bible is saying, but how you can put into practice what you're hearing from the Bible. That's what we've been doing from Genesis 1. We're now in Genesis 2. That's where we're going to pick up next week. Today, I'm going to do something very different. I'm going to go to Ezekiel 37. I felt the Holy Spirit direct me to this passage on Thursday morning very clearly. And it's not going to be an explanation of Ezekiel 37. That's not what I'm going to try to do today. I'm going to try to compare Asbury University with what the Bible is describing in Ezekiel 37. And really, I'm trying to answer the question, is this really from God? Or is this just manufactured emotion and human efforts? And I hope by the time that we're done, Ezekiel 37 gives you a context. If you were to Google the word Asbury, before you even finish putting the word in the search block, it'll already pull up for you the question that millions of people are asking. Is what's happening in Asbury real? Where is Asbury and how do I show up there? This little town of about 3,000 people in rural Kentucky has had 100,000 visitors in a few weeks because of this revival that's supposedly breaking out on the campus. And I'm just going to answer the question up front. Jeff, do you believe it's real? Yes, absolutely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'll tell you why in just a moment. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit. This is important. Ezekiel is following the Holy Spirit here. And he set me down in the middle of the valley. Apparently, this is a pretty well-known valley. We just don't know exactly where it is. This valley was full of bones. And he led me all around them. And there was a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. This is the famous passage of dry bones. And then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I replied, Lord God, only you know. That reply on the screen is Ezekiel's way of saying, God in heaven, you are the creator of the universe. What we've been studying from Genesis chapter one, you can make dry bones alive if you want to, but I can't do that. And he said to me, prophesy concerning these dry bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. Would you say the word revival out loud? Now say the middle of that word, vive. That middle of the word is the, where we get the word life from. Revival means alive again. Literally, that's how it's translated into English. It is being made alive again. Something is happening in this rural con- country city in Kentucky, and people around the world are standing up and taking notice. I'm going to make three observations, and then we're going to do something very different at the end of this service today. The first thing that I want you to know about revival, Joseph, if we can skip over to that next, thank you, the next screen here, is that Jesus breathes revival from the dust. Now, I'm very specifically using Genesis 1, look up here for just a second, not Ezekiel 37 language. 
Because when God first created human beings in the Garden of Eden, he worked into the dust. This is what Genesis 2 is teaching us. He fashioned a creature in the dust, and then God breathed into that creature what the Bible calls the breath of life. Or some translations say at this point, he became a living being or a living soul. God put his breath into what was dead and lifeless, and it became alive in Genesis 1 and 2. And then in Ezekiel 37, there's a battlefield. That's literally what this is that we're talking about. There's a battlefield where something ugly and very wrong happened. And the bones have been picked dry and they've been bleached in the sun. And there is no life on this battlefield. And then God says, Ezekiel, I want you to speak my word. And I'm going to do something after my word is spoken in that valley that is supernatural and cannot be explained away, which means it cannot be worked down. It's going to have to be prayed up. And Ezekiel, I want you to preach to those bones, and then I'm going to make what's dead alive again. Many of you may be aware that I taught at the University of Louisville in Kentucky for three and a half years. I was a sergeant teaching ROTC. I absolutely loved it. While I was going to school or while I was teaching ROTC, I was also going to school across town at a place called Southern, the Southern Baptist Seminary, an hour and a half away from Wilbur, Kentucky, or Wilmore, Kentucky, everyone knew what was happening on the campus of the University of Louisville. All of us knew what was happening on the campus of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. By the way, if you live there, that's how you got to say it. It's Louisville. But all of us also knew what was happening at Asbury. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. For a generation, nothing was happening at this campus. This was as dry and barren of a spiritual wasteland as you would find anywhere in America. And all of us knew about it because all of us knew people who were going to school there. And all of us heard the reports about how dead, how dry this university campus was. And I could compare what the Spirit of God was doing an hour and a half away in Louisville from what was happening in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury University. Although it's a private Christian school, it was as dead as any place on the campus or any place in America. Now, you may know that I don't trust the news, so I don't watch the news. And the first people that reached out to me were actually our families from South Africa who were saying, Jeff, the news is talking here about what's happening in Kentucky. Is, are you aware, is this real? Basically, what they were asking is, why this place, why this time? Is what we're seeing legitimate? Is this real revival? And I want to answer the question, why Asbury and why now? I am absolutely convinced what you're seeing on news reports is a legitimate move of God that can only be given, only credited to him. And I really believe that God has waited and chosen a spiritual wasteland, a valley of dry bones campus, and said, watch what I do there. And if I can do that there, I can do this on any place, on any campus, on any military installation, on any city in the universe. If I can do it in Asbury, I can do it anywhere. 
And what I really believe God is doing is blowing into the, 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 the winds of new life uh, into the campus of Asbury University. I wouldn't dare cheapen by trying to explain away what God is doing by what I heard this week. But I did hear a pastor say that his grandmother has been meeting with about a dozen other women, all of them grandmothers, all of them have college-age children, and they started praying together three years ago for their children who were leaving home and going to college campuses because these grandmothers realized how hostile college and university campuses are to the faith. Listen to this. For three years, every week, these grandmothers have been meeting together to pray for their grandchildren that are students at Asbury University. And then all of a sudden, God decided to choose a spiritual wasteland, a valley of dry bones, and he chose to breathe life into it. And I am absolutely convinced, please hear me, Two Cities Church, that God can do this in the Chattahoochee Valley. He can do this on the campus of Columbus State University. With every fiber of my being, I'm asking him to do on Fort Benning what he's doing on Asbury and in Baylor and other campuses around the country. Because I'm convinced that this is a supernatural move of God and God's people should know what's happening and take notice. The second thing that I'm convinced of, Joseph, can you throw number two on the screens for me? Is that Jesus breathes the breath of life into the dust and then he blesses the prayer of the desperate. And it's when people start to really get desperate that Jesus is ready to stand up and to act. If you look at the scriptures, the people's faith that he encourages, that that he blesses, that he promotes above everybody else's, those people that have this desperate faith, if you don't act, Jesus, I'm helpless. And that's what I think is happening at Asbury. Two Cities Church just crossed over a line. We've been dependent on the Holy Spirit since the first day that a group of people started meeting in the lobby of that Burger King restaurant across the street. But this month, we just crossed a line from dependent on the Holy Spirit to desperate for the Holy Spirit. I'll explain what just happened in a few moments. I don't think that you can particularly uh, describe the revival on that campus just a cre- it's not just the result of a couple of grandmothers that have been meeting together for 3 years and praying together i don't think that's what's happening i think it's desperation and god sees and he honors that kind of desperation i'm about to make a statement please stay with me don't tweet what i say next out of context but i need you to hear the whole context you with me church I don't think God is that concerned about some of our prayers. Let me explain what I mean by this statement. Some of our prayers, and I'm talking about the way Christians pray, pagans don't have this kind of relationship with God, so their prayers are going to sound a lot different. I'm talking about the average Christian prayers. Some of it sounds pretty selfish to me. 
It almost borders on, I'm not God, but if I were examining that prayer from heaven, it would almost border on idolatry. Like, God, you exist to serve me and to give me what I want and to glorify me. So here comes my shopping list, God. Get your pencil and paper ready because I got a bunch of stuff that you need to do for me. And nothing about those prayers sound like a holy God and his people, helpless and desperate, praying for him, asking that he would be glorified. In fact, a lot of that prayer, some of our prayers, sounds like us asking for us to be glorified. It has nothing to do with Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' glory, the advancement of the gospel. Some of our prayers sound selfish. Some of our prayers are very superficial. And here's what I mean by that. If you were to listen to the list that some groups give when they start their prayer request, 90% of that list could be accomplished by a medical doctor or a therapist. So why even bother? Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be abrasive with this statement, but why are you asking God to do what is simple and easy for another human being to do Instead of superficial or selfish prayers, how about this? Pray a bold, a big, a desperate prayer that comes from a broken and contrite heart where you say, God, if you don't show up, I am so helpless. I am so desperate. I am so dependent on you that if you don't show up, there's no hope for me in the future. Those are the kind of prayers that I think Jesus stands up and takes listen to. Don't, don't hear me wrong. I believe, I know with my soul that God hears every prayer that is offered to him. But I do believe a lot of our prayers are selfish and superficial. It's when God's people really get desperate. That's when God stands up and takes notice. I'll give you a personal example of this. A couple of weeks ago, in my group, um, one of the couples in our group said, Jeff, can we go off script for this Sunday? Instead of doing discussion questions, can we share what's been happening in our life and in our marriage? And so we just cleared some space to offer up a chance for this group to share. They spent about 30 minutes kind of explaining what was going on. And they had talked to me about this ahead of time. So I kind of knew what to expect. As they were sharing, people were silent and the tone started to change. This is a group that's meeting around North America and Africa, literally across the world. I was prepared for that part of the conversation. Stick with me. I wasn't prepared for what happens next. Because after they got done talking, after they shared their desperation, their raw, humble pain and their suffering, every single person around the world that was in that group started saying, that's me too. Can I, can I tell you all what's going on in my life? And another person halfway across the globe said, and can I tell you what's happening in my family? And another group started to open up and share what was going on in their life. And there was a moment where everybody started to share their raw, humble pain, their desperation, their need for Jesus. And by the time this was over with, something so different happened in that small group meeting around the world, it was intimate, it was powerful, it was across the globe, but the Holy Spirit used a Zoom meeting to minister to people's souls. And to this day, they're still talking about how much that conversation changed the way that they view God. 
because it just opened up their desperate need for a holy God to intervene in their problems and in their pain. And I really believe that God sometimes allows, he doesn't always cause it, but sometimes allows his people to get to the point where I'm no longer dependent on you, God. Now I'm desperate because this hurts really, really bad. And when you get there, then he's ready to move. Then he's ready to act in a very powerful way. Our church just crossed that boundary this month. There's been several families that have left our church. And ever since we launched our services, the first Sunday in the last Sunday in January 2020, our church has been dependent on God to bring people, bring volunteers, to bring energy. But this month, for the first time ever, um, enough people left and they took their giving with them that we didn't have the money to pay the bills in March. And so we just crossed from dependent on the Holy Spirit. Listen, throughout COVID, there was always enough giving. Even when we didn't meet together for seven months, there was enough giving that we were able to pay the bills. But this month, we got to the point where we can't pay the bills anymore. And so I decided I won't take a paycheck from this church, and we will do our best to pay our bills with the giving of God's people. But we're now at the point where we're desperate, God. If you don't bring people, if you don't cause them to believe in the mission, if you don't cause them to commit to the mission of this church, then we just simply won't have a church in the future. This isn't a threat briefing. It's not designed to scare you. It's to just tell you, this may be exactly where God wants two cities to be so desperate and so dependent on him that, God, if you don't show up, we just can't go on anymore. And God says, now that you're that desperate, I can work with that. I can do something with that kind of desperation. Let me tell you the third thing that, that is an observation about revival, and then I'm going to bring in the next part of what you're reading from Ezekiel 37. Jesus not only breathes into the dust and makes it alive again, he blesses those prayers of desperate people that say, God, we can't continue anymore if you don't show up. And then he does something that I read 50 times in Ezekiel and just somehow missed. He brings an army from the dead is really what he does. Now, I've read this passage countless times. I've seen this word countless times. But on Thursday morning, he directed me, the Holy Spirit directed me to this passage, and I just saw something that I don't think I've seen for a long time. So let me pick up where we leave off. Ezekiel 37, starting in, in verse 37. Thank you. Um, so I prophesied, I just skipped over. Uh, can you go back to the beginning of that uh, passage, Joseph? Thank you. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. This is Ezekiel saying, hey, I'm, I'm meeting with you, God, and I'm doing what you're telling me to do, but this is a valley of dry bones. So I prophesied as I've been commanded. Listen to this, church. And while I was prophesying, something happened. There was a noise, a rattling sound, and bones came together, bone to bone. And as I looked, tendons appeared to them. Flesh grew and skin covered them, 
but there was no breath in them. Pause for just a second. Bible scholars at this point are asking the question of Ezekiel, is this spiritual? Is this symbolic? Or did this really happen? And I am a guy who believes that what you're reading literally happened in a valley back in Ezekiel's day, that a bunch of dead soldiers came back to life again. That's literally what I think you're reading right here. But there was no breath in them. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the Lord says, breath come from the four winds. You ever wonder where that phrase four winds comes from? It comes exact, or def, uh, specifically out of Ezekiel 37. Come from the four winds and breathe into this slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath entered them and they came to life. Say the word revival again. And they came to life and stood on their feet. Would you read the last three words out loud? A vast army. That shocked me on Thursday when I read those three words. I don't, I don't know how I missed what I have been reading in Ezekiel for decades. Speak a word to these bones. Prophesy to these bones. Call the breath from the four winds and they will come into these bones and the bones will become human and they'll put on flesh. And I got all of that. And now something that was dead is alive. Can I break the word revival down for you just a second? The rephrase means again. Vibe means alive. Literally, revival means to be alive again. Something that was dead, and it has to be dead in order for there to be genuine revival. Something that was dead becomes alive again. And this valley of dry bones, Ezekiel prophesies, and then God's spirit, literally the word breath or spirit is the breath of God. God's spirit enters back into these dead bones and they not only become alive, but according to Ezekiel, they become a, an army. And that shocked me because it occurred to me why did God send revival to that valley? It wasn't for the good of the dry bones. It was actually for his kingdom and his glory. I'm going to do something. And it's going to be so spiritual and so supernatural. No idiot would try to take credit for this. Ezekiel, you can't possibly claim credit for what's about to happen next. Only I can do this. And I'm going to send them out from this valley as a vast army, not to go defeat their neighboring nations, not to go conquer our enemies, but to go advance my kingdom. I saw something for, for the first time when I saw this passage, God taking what was dead on the campus of Asbury University and making it alive. And they have sent out 2,000 students to campuses all over America and tried to explain what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, what's going on on Asbury, because God wants to send his army army into the highways and the hedges and compel people to hear from the Lord and to respond to what they heard. One church leader showed up to Asbury's campus skeptical and not really sure what to expect and sat in a chapel service that lasted for hours and then made a couple of observations and came back and said, I wasn't sure what to expect, but today I am convinced this is a legitimate move of God. Can you hear me for just a second, church? 
If what this church leader saw is true, what's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky is more important than what's happening in the Ukraine right now, if this is really God's presence. And this is what he said. He said, at some point, one of the students from Asbury went to the stage and emphatically stated that the principles that were driving what was happening on this campus, what they were trying to do by sending their army out to other colleges and universities across America is to steward a time of, listen to this language, radical humility, their exact words, honest purity, and an authentic hunger for Christ. He spoke of dying to self and being crucified with Christ. And the biggest theme in the room that day, he said, if I could summarize everything that I experienced, it was people making themselves low so that Jesus could be made great. That's what was happening on the campus of Asbury University. And I'm convinced when God's people do that anywhere, on Fort Benning, on Columbus State University, in the Chattahoochee Valley and across the globe, when that happens, God says, I can work with that. If you're willing to humble yourself, confess your sin, if you're willing to admit your dependence on me, if you're willing to go to a brother or sister that has harmed you and to try to reconcile, if you're willing to let go of some hurt, if you're willing to say, Jesus, I need you to break the spirit of addiction or the spirit of apathy, if you will do that, I'm convinced God can take that and he can do something very powerful, something very beautiful. He can take your dry bones and start to make it alive again. And this sermon since Thursday morning has been sitting on my shoulders like a hundred pound weight because I feel the Lord saying, I want to do in Asbury, I want to do in this church and every church what's happening in Asbury. But my people are going to have to get low, humble themselves deny themselves, actually die to themselves. And if I were to quote Jesus's language here, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. But if my people are willing to deny themselves, die to themselves, take up their cross, oh, I can use that. I can do great things with that. And I want to pray for us and then I want to create some space for the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do next in this service. Maybe somebody is here and you need to join me this week in fasting and prayer for this campus, for Fort Benning, and for the Chattahoochee Valley. I'm going to ask everyone in this church, would you be willing to genuinely sacrifice fast and prayer with me this week for God's Spirit to bring revival? Some of you need to be revived in your soul. Like you need Jesus to breathe the breath of life into your soul for the first time. And in just a second, I'm going to pray for you. For any of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while, but we've been going through a season where it's dry and we're struggling and you desperately, and I'm using the word desperate on purpose, you desperately want the Spirit of God to breathe into you, I'm going to pray that you will feel the presence of God in your life like people are experiencing it on the campus of Asbury University. Would you bow with me for just a second? Would you let me pray over you right now? 
hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.